Heavenly Father, again, again, uh, we come boldly. And we thank you, Father, that we may come boldly and that we stand only on one foundation, and that is the one man standing between sinners and yourself, Heavenly Father, as the holy and righteous creator, sustainer, redeemer. Father, the one man, Jesus Christ, and all that he has accomplished. And Father, we are being overwhelmed every day when we consider the magnitude, the sheer magnitude uh, of his great, great work for us. Father, thank you that we have been declared righteous as a result through his glorious resurrection, certifying that he has accomplished the full payment for our sins once and for all. So, Father, thank you that we stand there in, in no other place, and not in any doctrines of some church organization that seek to diminish the revealed word of God, but and to make it more compatible to human thinking, but rather that you open our hearts to your revealed word, which is absolute and final and so clearly revealed in your word of doctrine. Father, thank you for gathering us today to open the word together, and may it be a great blessing to us. There are many thanksgivings, Father. Father, we're thankful for our young ones who've gone off to college and your good hand rests upon them. And Father, thank you that we all have opportunities to reach out to others and and for the, the blessings of that. Some some who are in very difficult circumstances. And Father, we pray for the nation of Israel under attack from several different fronts all at the same time, very well coordinated, exactly 50 years after the beginning of that previous big war in uh, 1973. 50 years and one day later, their coordinated attack has begun. And so, Father, I, I pray for great wisdom for those that lead Israel, who are, as far as we know, not believers. But, Father, I pray that you'd give them wisdom, and may they guide well and properly, and may Israel be defended somehow from these destructive attacks that, of course, seek to destroy them entirely off the face of the earth. They have been so clearly uh, revealing their intentions there in that regard. So, and Father, I pray that our nation would respond properly, finally, as well. That our leaders would not be inclined to do what they have always done before. So, Father, guide us and lead us as a nation, as a people. Pray that the churches here would reset their focus on your truth and your grace and away from this new age perversion so often taken precedence. Father, bless us now as we open your word together, and, and may we rejoice in it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, well, we have another great opportunity the Lord has provided here for us, and uh I'm going to forego the normal review since we'll begin today with what will be a review in any case. <clears throat> the outline is simple. The title is, Who Art Thou, O Man That Judges? Those are words taken there out of Romans chapter 2 at the beginning. Who Art Thou, O Man That Judges? And the outline is very simple, three points. Once all knew God and his glory, but now that knowledge has been lost. 
once all knew God and his, and his glory, but now that knowledge has been lost. First point. Second point. What has been the effect of the dispensational change through Paul? What has been the effect of the dispensational change through Paul? And thirdly, the bottom line, all stand under judgment by their creator always. All stand under judgment by their creator always. Next time we'll finish up this portion of scripture by focusing in on, on real, what would have been the fourth point, but we don't have time for that today. And that is the revelation of the dispensation of conscience continues in the Romans. Paul is giving us an outline. It's a thumbnail sketch, kind of, sometimes in great detail, though, especially here regarding the dispensation of conscience here in Romans chapter 2. Okay, um, there's some dispute as to how many dispensations God has uh, already revealed. Some say seven, some say eight, some say five or six. I'm not too focused in on that. I do see evidence for seven at least, but um, I think that's not the most important thing. After all, what is most important today is whether we know what the dispensation of the grace of God is all about. But because Paul revealed this outline of the dispensations in Romans, uh, as he's in the process of, of teaching concerning grace, uh, so that we would have a, a good understanding of how God has worked in the past and how he continues to work today, because of what Paul has written, we need to focus in on that and, and gain understanding. And so that's why we're uh, looking at uh, Romans dispensationally considered. Quite often, Romans is not considered dispensationally by teachers or or um, um, preachers. Uh, and I think other than the clear focus on law versus grace, many uh, seem to miss the point altogether that Paul often is making in his letters, which is that he is quoting from the Bible or referring to it, and he is explaining it in ways that haven't been explained before. Well, surely he considered it just that important to do that, and that was in the first century, not, you know, way before, but in the first century, actually during the current dispensation of the grace of God, it's when he wrote the letter to the Romans. And so uh, the ones that would have read that letter and who heard that teaching given needed that teaching that Paul provided. Yes, they were much closer to the beginning of this dispensation and the end of the previous. They were much closer. And therefore, perhaps uh, the necessity of that teaching was even greater because there were those alive who had lived under a previous dispensational uh, management system. But uh, we all need to know this, too, because what we see happening in the world is a continual what refocusing by many on uh, previous dispensations as if somehow they are in effect today, like law, for example, being the main one uh, being promoted today and uh, always taking the focus away from grace. Law and grace are not compatible. And so that's been a major focus here as well as we've attempted to communicate what Paul's teaching is all about. So. Let's begin. The first point, once all knew God and his glory, but now that knowledge has been lost. And we've been studying how that was here using the first chapter of Romans as our introduction. 
and uh, then go, jumping off to other places. We, we've looked at uh, some other important things beyond the first chapter of Romans. We've looked into chapter 10 of Romans that refers back to Psalm 19, where Paul very much considered it essential for the understanding of the saints to whom he was writing there in Rome, that they understand how God had revealed himself in times past, and especially through the heavenly record, right? Meaning the signs that he had given. And I think we today are largely ignorant of that. Uh, We just consider that all to be astrological, therefore not worthy of our consideration. In fact, more than not worthy, uh, demonic. Well, certainly astrology is a perversion by Satan. But astrology perverts what God had revealed before. Okay, So the fact that we do not have a good understanding of what he had revealed before doesn't mean it wasn't important to those that did have that understanding. And if you just stop to think for a moment, what would it have been like to live like in the days of, um, how about, you could pick anyone back in those days, who lived before light pollution, and therefore at night, the heavens were gloriously displaying the various constellations from one end of the sky to the other, right? And the moon was dominant as well. And during the day, the sun. And and the effects of all of this upon the earth were not deniable, right? And uh, so the signs that God had given were clearly visible. And the revelation that he had given concerning those, which, as I said, was no doubt passed down either from Seth or from Adam, perhaps at the beginning, but certainly from Seth, passed down generation to generation as to what the proper interpretation was of those signs. Now, those stars had names, and those names were Hebrew, given by God, and they had meanings. And so when the skies are bright, and we have seen that being off in the mountains where there was no light pollution at all, and it's really pretty amazing and astounding, really, to see the skies like that compared to when you're in the city. But that the stars had names, they knew the names, they knew the meanings of those, and that conveyed the entire plan concerning the prophesied solution to the sin problem, which God revealed there in that great heavenly expanse uh, called the... uh, Zodiac. And that was concerning the coming solution to the sin problem through the Son of God, the seed of the woman. And how at the end, uh, the enemies of God would be thoroughly defeated. And we uh, spent enough time looking at that, I think, before to say more about it now. But Paul's writing much later. Uh, He's writing a letter to the Romans, and, and he writes there, in a way that reflects the preaching that he had been doing city by city as he began his missionary journey and began his missionary journey by preaching in several places on the islands in the Mediterranean and finally coming to a city named Pisidia in Antioch. And there he preached the resurrection of Christ in the synagogue. And many Jews took opposition to that, rejected it entirely, though some were interested and wanted to hear more. You remember that. We looked at Acts chapter 13 to see how that preaching went. What he said there, and I'm just going to quote a couple of verses that summarize it in Acts 13. We'll read four verses. First verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified 
by the law of Moses. Because he's preaching this to the Jews in a synagogue in that Gentile city. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And then verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, this is after they'd left the synagogue, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So many were saved. Some were Jews, many were proselytes, meaning Gentiles, uh, and uh, they went off and heard more about grace and were, were saved by believing the gospel of the grace of God, which focused in on the resurrected Christ. Then they went on, and in chapter 14, next chapter there in the book of Acts, they were in Lystra. They healed a man who had been lame from birth. It was a dramatic event. Those in Lystra who were uh, <laughs> idolaters of the worst sort thought that one of the gods, you know, like Jupiter or whatever, had sent forth other gods, and these were, they called them Mercury and so forth. They were Paul and Barnabas, uh, but they treated them as if they were gods. And, and in verse 14, Paul responds to that, and he says, and they even want to sacrifice unto them. So verse 14 says, when the apostles, uh, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? In other words, why are you bowing before us and wanting to do sacrifices as if we're gods? He says, we also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Well, that preaching didn't continue except outside uh, again, where some wanted to follow along with the apostles Paul and Barnabas and to learn even more about the grace of God, and many were saved. And then we looked at Acts 17, where Paul finally reaches Athens, former capital of the world. Athens was the uh, capital of the Greek Empire. Now, at this point in time, Roman, Rome was ruling uh, Greece. But life went on there pretty much as normal. And uh, Paul disputed daily in the synagogue with the Jews there. But the city was entirely given over to idolatry. And he ended up in the Supreme Court of the Athenians there on Mars Hill and was being interrogated, really, by those that ruled uh, the uh religious and philosophical and legal world there <laughs> interrogated because they wanted to know about this new God or gods uh, that Paul was preaching because wherever Paul went, he, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. That's verse 18. And then in verses 22 through 25, and then a little later, uh, he he preaches unto them how the Lord God has changed things. Previously, he left them to themselves and still gave them goodness and mercy and uh, long-suffering, did not hold their sins against them particularly, but um, expected them nevertheless to realize 
that they were sinners in need of a salvation that only God could provide. And uh, enough of the revelation that had been given before was still uh, generally known that Paul preaches to them really uh, on the basis of that and then says that God has given a new sign. So not only the signs from the past, but a new sign. And I will read those verses for you there where that's made so clear about the great change that has occurred. Verse 30, Acts 17. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. (laughs) And so it says then, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear you again of this matter. In other words, the Supreme Court session is now over. It's time to depart, but we'll ask you to come back and we'll further interrogate you later. So Paul goes out of that place and some follow along with him seeking to know more. But the point is that God had given signs before and some of them remained and the Athenians certainly knew of them, how God had uh, treated them very gently, given them many good things and was very long-suffering towards them, uh, even though they were idolaters. And uh, and yet now, uh, Paul says there's a new sign. What is that sign? It is the resurrected Christ. And so it is through faith in this resurrected Christ that one may be saved. It actually says some were saved uh, in that fashion. They continued with Paul uh, and and went out and believed and were saved. And uh, some names are given there. Well, that's most wonderful. So that's how it all developed. After God had been given witness in many ways, and after Satan conflicted with that revelation of God to destroy it, nevertheless, there still were some evidences of how God had revealed himself and how God held all to be accountable. And so that's that first point. Once knew God in his glory, now that knowledge had been lost, but The bottom line is the Lord God still had revealed enough for all to realize that they stood accountable. And we'll finish up with that point a little bit later, but I want to talk a little bit more now about the dispensational change that had occurred. Paul certainly identified that on Mars Hill. So what was the effect of that dispensational change through Paul? Well, um, Paul said the resurrection of Christ made all the difference. And some wanted to know more. They demanded of Paul that he teach them even more about this resurrected Christ, uh, who really had fulfilled the seed of the woman promise that had been given so long before and that all the revelation from the heavens had supported, right, that Looking forward, the Lord God ultimately would provide such a savior. And now he had brought into this world his only begotten son. And had, after he died on a cross in Jerusalem and had been buried, he had been gloriously raised after the third day. So that's... Uh, how far it had come in the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. But Paul goes on and reveals more. And the full teaching of the gospel of the grace of God is what one needed to believe to be saved. 
And that involved what was accomplished in the death of Christ there that day and how he had paid the penalty for all of our sins completely. And when he was gloriously raised, he brought into reality our justification, right? And that's what Paul makes very clear in Romans, the full content of the gospel of the grace of God. So it's through Paul that this has been revealed. Well, what a wonderful thing to have the gospel so clearly revealed and for us to have believed it. What a great miracle that our blindness has been removed and we've been able to see clearly how the Lord God has worked. So all we can say is together is rejoice, rejoice, for our salvation has been accomplished. What a wonderful blessing it is. But many have not known this teaching. Nearly all are still in blindness today. But God still holds them accountable. So let's now read the scriptures that make this so clear. And uh, this will be our third point. The bottom line is all stand under judgment by their creator always. And how that nevertheless has led to hope for eternity as the rest of the message declares the salvation of God. So God has provided deliverance from sin, but all are being held accountable. Okay, so let's begin and see how Paul gives the details of this. And he does it very, very carefully there in Romans 1 and then in chapter 2. Linda, would you read for us those summary verses there in chapter 1 as he finishes the chapter, verses 28 through 32, all stand under judgment by their creator. Linda? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, debate deceit, malignancy, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Thank you, Linda. What a statement indeed. So there's a description of mankind uh, all infected with Adam's sin and the consequence of it, all under the judgment of God, born into this world as sinners, innocent as they do appear as babes, right, <laughs> of course, but all born, conceived even uh, as sinners and born as such. And the Lord God, uh, when they reach the, the age of accountability, holds them accountable. And, and this is a description of why, that even back when, when they knew God, and there were two times, as I showed you before, when all knew on this earth knew God, that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over to this evil, right? And that was propagated down generation to generation. And yet, there are many who proclaim innocence, <laughs> who claim to be above it all, who uh, who rather would point the finger at the others when they themselves were condemned by God. And uh, those are the religious, those may be the philosophers, those are those who consider themselves somehow with excuse, <laughs> as it were. And let's continue the reading, Brenda, as to what God's view of them is uh, Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges 
For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and dost the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? <laughs> Thank you, Brenda. So the bottom line Paul writes here is that all stand under judgment by their creator, all. And not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, okay? All, okay? Now, his focus is primarily in these verses on the Gentiles, but he does bring up the Jews occasionally, as you well know, and we'll see that even more clearly stated next in the next verses. But the question would be then, since he does say there that all, all knew God and they knew they stood before a holy and righteous creator who held them accountable and nevertheless they pursued evil, right? What about later when not all did any longer know God? The big question is, is what Paul writes there still true later, right? In fact, is it still true today? Is the real fact of it that all, even today, know that they stand condemned by a righteous and holy God without hope unless somehow there's a resolution to the sin problem? What is true today? Because, of course, we have atheists everywhere. We have agnostics and we have whole religious systems based upon evil lies of Satan. It surely doesn't appear to be true that today mankind universally still possesses at least sort of a fundamental understanding of uh, how each one relates to a holy and righteous God. Well, let's go on and see. What do we have in Romans chapter 2, verse 4? Paul continues to write of it this way, and here he's going to write about the dispensation of conscience and give us some understanding of it, though we will not be able to finish this section today. At least we'll get a start, right? Because uh, he lays the foundations here. So I'd like Anne to read what I consider to be sort of the summary verse for it all. So, and Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the richest of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, Paul is writing sort of out there to anyone who might read, any anybody, any member of humanity, right, who might hear this or read this is being asked this question by Paul. He says, what about you? Meaning like today, like how about now? And the year 2023, right? Just, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? Not knowing, it seems that the goodness of God leadeth thee <laughs> to repentance, right? So that's, that's a question for all. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. That's a, now, that is a refrigerator verse, is it not? should put that on the walls, though, of the Supreme Court or uh, uh, the uh, uh, United States Congress, right, in large print. Okay, and politicians ought to know it, shouldn't they? Okay, then going on, uh, Gail, please read further, verses 5 through 7. Gail? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for honor and glory and immortality, eternal life. Thank you, Gail. And... Uh... I will comment on it, but let's continue the reading first. Uh, Jerry, verses uh, 8 through 10, over to you. But unto them that are contentious, 
and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doth, doth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. Thank you, and I'll read verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. Okay, well, the the apostle's intention should be here clearly understood. The judgment of God on all is held to be still known by all, if little else. Otherwise, God could not hold all accountable, right? But more needs to be known too, or one cannot know the way forward, a way away from perdition unto salvation, right? One needs to know more than just that one is under judgment because of one's uh, sin and uh, deceit. I mean, more needs to be known. And he writes about this in a way that's quite challenging indeed. In fact, many go to these verses uh, to prove salvation by works. Because does not Paul here say very clearly that God will give eternal life, immortality, verse 7, to those who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. And then in verse 10, glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Well, the answer to the enigma, to the challenge of these verses, is that what Paul is doing is reviewing the dispensational plan of God. And there was a time when God worked through the conscience of men very, very directly. And in fact, uh, even though that's been diminished, he still does use the conscience. It's just that it, the uh, the work of God through the conscience has been greatly diminished compared to what it once was. But if you go back to when all knew God and then they decided to go their own way, their conscience was condemning them, is what Paul is saying. And yet they still went that way to dishonor God. But it says there were those, it says there were those who and verse 7 says it actually pretty clearly, who by patient continuance in well-doing were seeking for glory, not their glory, but God's glory, and not their honor, but God's honor, and in fact, an eternal life, which is astounding, okay? Okay, so I don't think there's any question that some were saved in those days and they did not have Moses' law and they did not have anything other than the revelation in the heavens and what had been passed down concerning the meaning of it all. Okay, and all you need to do is think about Job to understand that this is true. Job lived very far back. In fact, he lived before Abraham. Everyone would agree to that. And he lived, therefore, before the law, right? He lived in a period just like what Paul is writing about right here. Did Job know the Lord God? Yes, he did. He knew he was a sinner, and he knew he needed a Savior, didn't he? And he knew he had one. That Savior had not yet come forth. It was promised. And he expected him to come someday and to fulfill his hopes and dreams. But Job lived his life exactly as described right here, did he not? By patient continuance and well-doing, he sought for glory and honor and immortality. And what God promised to him was, as verse 10 indicates, glory, honor, and peace.
And that this would be true for Gentiles who had no other revelation of God than that is what Paul writes of here, right? And then he says to the in verse 10, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So in some sense, this period of conscience continued on, even though the effect of the conscience was weakened over time as its proper instruction was minimized, right? So people still have had a sense of good and evil, but their sense may have been led astray by false teachings, right? From what God had originally impressed on the hearts of men much earlier on, okay? And so that's what Paul writes of here. Now, he has more to say. There's more to say to help us understand this even better, and we have to save it for next time. But I want Tom to read of it for us there in verses 11 through 16, because there Paul brings up the law and contrasts with what the Gentiles and the Jews knew of God. Okay, so Tom, would you please read Romans chapter Romans 2, verses 11 through 16. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but they of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. They are also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus, according to my gospel. Thank you, Tom. So what Paul is doing here, and this is a remarkable section. We have to look at it in great detail next time, Lord willing. But what he's doing is saying Gentiles did not have the law that was given to the Jews. And the Jews were placed under a law. Well, what a law does is to require works. And uh, the law is an incredible burden uh, when placed upon a person or a, a nation in this case, right? The Gentiles did not have that law, but nevertheless, they did have the conscience, it says there in verse 15. And what he says is that when the final judgment comes, the Lord God is going to judge based upon what those people had 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 revealed to them. Okay, and they're not going to be held accountable for what was not revealed to them. And so there we see again revealed something that uh, Paul preached about in Acts, in the Acts record. Remember when he says uh, to the Gentiles uh, on Mars Hill, the times of this ignorance God winked at, right? Or God did not hold them accountable because they didn't have any more revelation uh, than than what had been revealed in the heavens and then passed down. They didn't have what Israel received later. And so they were not to be judged by that law of Moses. And they will not be. But the Jews will be. Okay, so that creates then an additional challenge for us to understand there what Paul has written here. And notice that he says, in verse 16, something about the final judgment. He says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Well, that Jesus Christ would be the judge, the uh, seat of the woman would be the judge is a new revelation that hadn't been revealed before. And Paul is revealing it here. It says it's part of his gospel, right? That's what he was preaching. But verse 15 says the conscience is going to play a major role that day. And so I believe what he's saying is that in the judgment, 
in the final judgment, the conscience that has been so dimmed over time will be enlivened and uh, everyone will understand perfectly how they failed to live up to the revelation that they did have. And so just as he wrote earlier there when he said, oh man, who art thou that judges another, right? <laughs> for you stand condemned yourself, for you commit the same sins, right? So there's so much here. We, I look forward next time, Lord willing, to really getting into these verses right here, because really verses 11 through 16 uh, have so much teaching in them. So what Paul is doing is outlining various aspects of the dispensational plan of God and how God changed the plan from time to time based upon the revelation that he gave. And there were even times when that revelation had been minimized greatly and the common knowledge had been lost of Almighty God largely, but all still knew that they stood accountable by their creator. And I believe that's actually true today. From their youth, the children are taught in our cultures that there is no God and that there is no truth. But I believe they know otherwise to some degree. And eventually, for some, that becomes a challenge. The big challenge in life is to know the truth, <laughs> right? What is the truth? And they seek it and maybe don't find it easily until they open the scriptures and God reveals it to them. Or they hear a preacher someday, perhaps at a gospel mission, when they've been under the influence much of their lives before, but they hear the preacher preaching clearly the only way of salvation. They believe and are gloriously saved. Praise God, he worked in all of us by intersecting our lives on that day to make all the difference. Praise the Lord. So I hope this has been an interesting study for you today. I hope we are allowed to continue next time. But if we're caught up into heaven's glory instead, praise the Lord. We look forward to that. Indeed, that may occur today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, enjoy the Lord all. Are there any questions before we close today in prayer? We really need to be in prayer for Israel. As this yeah. is a major, major attack. It could easily move into a world war as far as I can see. Yeah. Jim, Jim not, not a question, but just a comment. Thank you for pointing out that Job... Um, was alive before Abraham and Moses. And so even though there was no law, yet he knew he was a sinner and his uh, the three friends of his kept telling him, well, you must have done something wrong. You sinned against God. So, yeah, thank you for pointing that, that out. I had never thought of that, that that <laughs> yes. existed even before the law was given. Absolutely. Yes, a very, very clear proof of it, isn't it? Yeah, thank yes. you. Thank you, Brenda. Any yeah, other just, comments today? I was just thinking the portion that I read describing what man becomes has never been, seems to have never been more apt than it is today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way, right? <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. I, you know, that may not be true, but I mean, I suppose that the, before the flood, certainly much of that, uh, all of it applied. But it, it just right. seems like it speaks to such a truth that we're seeing today. Yes, and so what God reveals here are two ways of life, varied down through the centuries, down through the various dispensational plans, but there were two ways. One was the way of God, and one was the way of sin, and all sinners needed to be, what, transformed in order to walk on the path of God, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would say the world's always been this way. We're just We're just living through it now. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't I don't think man's ever ever changed. Well, I, I think I think the difference is, is that in the past you might see this in one part of the world, but there was always 
a part where there were people striving to be righteous. Let's say, let's take a period of, you know, World War II. Uh, you saw this thing in a lot of the world, but there were large numbers of people trying honestly to fight evil and who understood what evil. What I what bothers me is that it's worldwide now. Right. Mm. Yeah, but we had the Roaring Twenties, you know, were before the World War. Too, so. Oh, but many my my parents were young adults during that time, and and they they were church going Christian people. I mean, uh, uh, I asked my mother one time about drinking, and she said previous before prohibition, mostly men drank, women didn't, and the men didn't drink hard liquors. They drank, and it was mostly beer or home brew. So during that time, there were a lot of very, you know, church going Christian people. But now you're seeing a worldwide spread of evil that I don't think we've ever seen since before the flood. Well, one last thing I'll say on that. Jesus says, you know, that few take his path. So it's not, even back then, few were taking his path. They, they might have been in church, but Jesus is also talking about people in the church as well as outside the church about the few. I think we all agree. I mean, we know what you're saying, but certain things do appear today to be somewhat different. And, uh, and but I have often wondered, you know, what was it like back in the time of the Inquisition, or yeah, or in the Dark Ages, or or if you go all the way back, uh, you could go back to the time of uh, the kings of Israel, right? When even in Jerusalem, the kings were thoroughly evil and idolatrous. You know, even though they had the revelation of God in this whole history. So uh, but but there are developments. Satan, Satan is working out his plan. Right. With all the understanding he has of humanity and how to influence humanity, because in the end, he needs to bring about a worldwide movement worshiping him. Right. And that's where it's all Headed, is it not? Jim, I just wanted to say thank you for explaining Romans 1 so well and so clearly uh, because there are some things that need to be understood. And also that pray that we might be bold in sharing the truth that many are deceived by. And it's yes. it sounds good, but it's. Yes, indeed. The, the cults are are really successful in our day are they not <laughs> let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father thank you thank you for gathering us today and the great blessing of your word and i pray that we might read it over and over again and again that you might teach us even more and we would thank you in christ's name amen